his computer. Welcome in on our uh, security discussion today. Uh, I have Hayden, who is the co-founder and CEO of uh, Risk Ledger, as well as Stas, the co-founder and CEO of Compile. Uh, thank both of you for being here and participating in the conversation today. Uh, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Excellent. Um, so Hayden, I wanted to just really quick, uh, you know, if you don't mind just starting, kind of give a little background, who you are, what you're doing, what risk, risk ledger is, what you're working on, how you got there. Uh, it'd be fun to kind of just have a little deep dive into that. Yeah, happy to. So I uh, started my career as a cybersecurity risk consultant at KPMG. Uh, before that, I was a neuroscientist at university, so ended up leaving uni and making an open application to KPMG, and they put me in their security team, which was a team that was rapidly growing at the time. So my old boss used to say all the best people fall into cyber, um, which I definitely did. Uh, so I spent about two years at KPMG, then about a year at Deloitte um, before founding Risk Ledger. And across that whole arc of my career, I was uh, specializing within supply chains. So helping our clients understand security risk in their supply chains, how that filters up into a wider third party risk management program um, and helping them set up those programs, run and report on them uh, as well. So you experienced a lot of the pain that they experienced when running them. And then Risk Ledger was the, the technology uh, born out of that to help solve that pain, essentially. Uh, and what the platform is, is it's based on this core idea of a social network, and it allows companies to connect with each other very efficiently and effectively share security information with each other, with a view being that we're building a network of organizations who are all working together to defend as one. So there's a lot of collaboration tools in there and uh, future visionary features, uh, essentially, to move supply chain away from risk management into more of an active cyber defense platform. Uh, that can help detect and, and block attacks as they happen. That's awesome. Very, very cool. Really, really cool idea. Um, and Stas, uh, quick introduction, who you are, what you're working on. Sure. Um, so my name is Stas Pajuka. I'm the CEO and founder of Compile. Um, we're an end-to-end -end information security uh, compliance and automation platform. Um, and we started in October 2020, and we've been going for just over two years. Um, um, yeah, my background is information security. Um, I've had about 20 years in this space. Um, I started as a systems engineer um, and then worked my way up to a CISO, and I've, I've done that multiple times. Um, I've got a lot of accreditations in this space and a degree as well. Um, and I mean, it's pretty much all I do. Uh, that's awesome. Cool. Well, I think I think kind of unique to this discussion, uh, you know, two, two co-founders, two CEOs. Um, Hayden, maybe I'll just toss it back to you. I'm curious, like if you if you were to think back, um, what were some of like the early day challenges that that kind of are front of mind for you uh, that maybe or maybe aren't going to be uh, relatable to those that are kind of uh, tuning in to watch this? Yeah. Um, so if I think back to when I suppose we first had the idea for the company, that was 2018. Uh, so I had this idea for, for a tech platform that essentially I, I believe would have helped my clients uh, at KPMG and Deloitte solve a lot of the pain they were having within their supply chain. Um, and I suppose the first challenge is you come up with an idea, you decide that you really want to pursue it, and then you're like, what do I do? Uh, and there's not really a, a playbook or a, or a list of to-do kind of things that you can follow to then kind of go out and start getting set up. Um, and luckily, I had some friends who worked within Venture Capital. So one of them sat me down kind of talked through each stage of, of building a tech startup and what investment was, investment rounds, how to think about building a product, taking that to market. And that was quite a really good foundational chat um, from which I was able to kind of formulate a bit of a plan. Uh, and then we also got accepted onto a startup accelerator in the UK um, that was for really early stage companies, which also helped us understand kind of how to 
um, incorporated company, how to kind of kick stuff off co-founder, how to have a, a co-founding agreement, uh, bits and pieces like that. Uh, and then from there, came up with a pitch deck, uh, built an initial prototype of our platform, which was literally pictures on PowerPoint that we hyperlinked together. Took that around a load of uh, CISOs in the UK that I knew and pretty much had them clicking through the, the prototype, kind of explained a bit about what I wanted to build, uh, trying to get as much early validation on the idea as possible. Uh, and then from that, they all said, yeah, this is great. If you build this, we would definitely look to buy it. Um, and then, yeah, from there, managed to sign our first few trial customers before we'd built the platform. Uh, then off the back of those contracts, managed to raise our first investment rounds, use that money then to build the platform, which we launched about four months later. Um, then had to completely rebuild the platform uh, into version two. Uh, and then, yeah, really kind of took it to market in 2020, which is when we, we started selling uh, what I would say is the minimum, uh, not the MVP, but the minimum sellable version was really what we had in 2020. Um, and then, yeah, from there, it was it was kind of building out each individual function within the business and, and taking us from zero customers to the 75 customers we have today, really. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, Stas, that sounds somewhat similar, similar. <laughs> very similar. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, our journey was, uh, we didn't do the accelerator or the, the mentorship, uh, the mentoring ship, uh, which we probably should have. Um, we kind of just, uh, made this up as we went along. Um, you know, I made a few mistakes, um, along the way, but, uh, um, the way that we, we basically got started is I was working for, uh, I was working for a brokerage, uh, in London at the time. And the way that this all started was they kept. Uh, they had really strict requirements because they're regulated to have to make sure that users are in the right group or in the right groups, they're in the right roles, or you know they're being monitored and doing the right things. And all of this was coming down to an Excel sheet. It was just super manual. Um, so what we ended up doing is just uh, being able to connect into uh, the APIs of these systems. A lot of them didn't have APIs, so we were like looking at like how can we get data out um, of these platforms. And we ended up uh, creating scripts that would go in and download like CSV files and Excel files and drop them into a folder. And then we'd pull all the data into uh, into a single platform, um, but it just started eliminating all these all these problems. And actually, just start we started seeing like real value. We started like seeing like these users like not only are they like not permissioned correctly or they're not being terminated or onboarded properly, but also like they're not using half the stuff they've been permissioned for. So we're paying a ton of cash for all this stuff that they're not using. So like it's it kind of that's where the idea kind of like uh, formulated. And then from there, I kind of sat on it for a while and. Uh, and then I just kept noticing we kept having the same problems over and over at, at different organizations. I just kept building on it, building on it. And then eventually I ended up putting my job in, uh, as, as a CISO um, and just try, you know, trying this out. Um, we ended up getting uh, funding in the U.S. as well. Um, and we similarly, we built a prototype and then we ended up having to completely rebuild the prototype uh, or like completely rebuild the product um, because... Uh, I'm an engineer, but I'm not a developer. It's a very different thing. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, word of advice, if you're not a developer, don't do it yourself. <laughs> very cool. Well, I'm really happy to have both of you guys here. Um, seems like uh, seems like a great conversation is about to be had. But I want to kind of pivot here because I think both of you bring an incredible amount of knowledge and experience just to the overall conversation in regards to risk. Um, I think that, you know, right now, um, we just came out of 2022, where the world kind of largely emerged from the pandemic and woke up. And, you know, now, now there's like a number of changes that we're just are here now that maybe weren't here, uh, you know, since, you know, uh, prior to the pandemic. So, you know, things like working from home being normalized, physical assets have now been digitized. I think our, uh, AI has been kind of, you know, ha had to have been largely accepted into organizations. 
And a lot of these things are taking place um, from an organization. Maybe they're not uh, a very innovative organization. They've had to implement these things. Um, and I think what comes very common in a situation like that is uh, gaps and uh, issues that maybe somebody implementing these changes is not aware of. And now, right, we enter 2023. Um, 2021, there, there were, I think, the most amount of breaches that has ever happened in the world. 2022 surpassed 2021. So, you know, if the history is going to be any indicator to the future, I think 2023 is like a time that we're either going to change this or we're going to continue to see these numbers skyrocket. So, Hayden, I'm curious from your perspective, I know you spend a lot of time in the supply chain. What kind of has taken place over the last couple of years that you think an organization really needs to kind of fundamentally think about as they're kind of now in 2023 to just kind of protect themselves or be safe? Yeah, really good question. Um, I'm probably going to focus my answer in on the supply chain just because that's kind of my area of, of expertise. Um, but I'd say over the last, let's say, 20 years, because of cost pressures and globalization, uh, both the size of people's supply chains has gone through the roof, as has its complexity. Um, and then with COVID hitting, we had organizations that literally overnight had to some um, kind of somehow bring tools in to enable them to work remotely and, and kind of adjust to the new way of life uh, that, that hit us. And because of that, that just then accelerated that um, that complexity and that number of suppliers that, that people use. Um, and also people have become more and more comfortable outsourcing more critical parts of their business to the supply chain as well, which if you go back 20, 25 years, it was fairly rare to think about outsourcing critical parts of your business, whereas now it's pretty, pretty mainstream. And um, so that's definitely been a trend that has has continued throughout all of those years, which is why supply chain as a, a domain um, has also now become kind of top of mind for many CISOs uh, when they're thinking about kind of building their security programs. And alongside that, um, I think people are realizing that they typically have more than one supply chain as well. So we think about supply chain in three different ways. You have your corporate supply chain, which is everybody your procurement team works with and other companies you work with um, that provide you a service. And the way that can be attacked is either uh, your suppliers that you rely on are taken offline and that leads to disruption in your business, or you transfer data to a supplier and they lose it. Uh, or you give system access to a supplier and then by attacking the supplier, they can jump through to, into your systems. Uh, and that corporate supply chain is really where we sit with Risk Ledger and, and help kind of understand that risk and, and mitigate it. But the other two supply chains that, that people are talking about now um, are software supply chains, which is a relatively, um, I'd say, new and emerging domain, even though it's been around for a long time. It's kind of, uh, I've recently only kind of really started hearing it as a, as a key facet of security programs. And that's all about looking at kind of the software you're building, where those packages are being pulled from, which is a completely different problem to the supply chain we look at uh, and requiring kind of a completely different suite of solutions. Um, and then your third supply chain is logistics, and that's making sure the right product is in the right place at the right time as well. So that's looking more at political risk and, and bits and pieces like that. So I think people are starting to understand just how complex supply chains can be. And they're really starting to see the impact of certain attacks, um, essentially using the supply chain as a magnifier. So we had a few examples, SolarWinds being the T-shade one. Uh, of one supplier being hit and then suddenly kind of hundreds of companies feeling the impact of that breach rather than it being uh, limited to just one company. Um, so because of that, yeah, there's uh, an ever increasing need uh, for uh, more visibility, both into your internal risks, but also risks within other companies as well, which is is new. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, you know, as businesses are moving like their data and their infrastructure to the cloud, they're, you know, with an increased reliance on uh, third party software applications, I mean, I think that there's inherently risk that's going to take place from that. So, Stas, maybe you could speak about it um, from like the data side. Um, 
that kind of where those gaps may be or where you typically see them or maybe what people aren't thinking about? Yeah, I mean, third-party risk management is definitely top of mind for a lot of uh, for a lot of organizations at the moment, uh, specifically for you know what Hayden just touched upon. Um, I also think, like, just from um, you know from a covert perspective of just people seeing all the all the delays of just like you know all their packages and like their products and cars and all that. Like, even if like I think that just put a lot of perspective into people in, in, in or gave people a lot of perspective of like how the supply chain actually works and can affect their day to day life. Whereas I know we're talking about more on the digital, we're definitely talking more on the digital side and in uh, um, data side. But I, I think that kind of resonated with a lot of people in terms of what um, you know what supply chain disruptions can can look like and impact them on their day to day. I think. Uh, I, th I think, you know, I think this, this is one of the, th I mean, I've, I've just, I've been kind of uh, hammering on the same, this, the same message over and over, and I have been for years now, and it's really just companies need to focus on the fundamentals. What we, what we keep noticing and what we see all the time is we go into an organization, they have all the bells and whistles, they've got all of this like great fancy tooling and all of it, like all, they bought all of this stuff. None of it's interconnected, none of it's configured. It's all just there for a checkbox and we have to focus on fundamentals. This is definitely one of those fundamentals and it's becoming more and more of an issue. Also with, you know, going off the, going off the idea that everything is moving into the cloud, it's a lot easier to now bring a product to market. It's a lot easier to get people to use it. And uh, so we have to be a lot more conscious about what, um, yeah, you know, how we make sure that those supply chains remain secure, but we have to do it like we have to do it in a way that it's not the old. Um, we have to make it as simple as possible for people to, to to use it and as intuitive for people to use it as well, because if it if there is a barrier entry here, they're not going to do it. Um, so, I mean, it sounds Hayden like you guys, uh, you guys have kind of built a product that um, that is unblocking that. Um, yeah, that was the I mean, that was the hope. So yeah. uh, that's a really good point you raised just then at the end. Yeah. So. It, the supply chain is basically like it's, it's companies doing deals with each other and whenever you put a barrier in the way of two companies being able to, to create a deal essentially security is, is becoming more of a barrier than it is a, a help a hindrance more than a help um, and i was always kind of raised on the fact that security should be an advisor to a business and help enable that business to make more money rather than kind of hinder it in any way um, and yeah so because of that one of the fundamental kind of principles that, that we've really tried to bring to the supply chain through through our social network is thinking about what each side of that conversation wants so our clients want to work with secure suppliers but our suppliers want a way of communicating clearly with their clients very efficiently um, and also kind of helping them win deals quicker and by combining kind of both of those value propositions under one roof the idea is it just makes that conversation a little bit easier to have um, and, and a lot nicer to have as well and a lot more productive rather than it being seen as kind of a hoop that a supplier has to jump through just to win a contract which is where we tend to find a lot of uh, uh, problems occur for sure yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, you know, sometimes the conversations we're having or we're hearing are um, what, what we digest or what we take away from it is um, organizations are struggling to maintain um, talent or, or find talent to begin with. Um, and it's really challenging when you come to the table with these complex issues such as logistics, right? And uh you're 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 trying to educate maybe somebody in an organization who doesn't really have a complete grasp of what's taking place. So like the education sometimes needs to be done first before you can even talk about any solution that you can provide. Um, Hayden, I'm curious if you've had experience with that. Yeah, um, the product we're building as well isn't your typical uh, TPRM type tool. So uh, we have to educate our prospects in a, in a couple of different ways. So firstly, it's educating them about just TPRM in general. 
and vendor risk management in general, kind of uh, the risk that it can pose to their business, why they need to be thinking about it if they're not already, uh, and then what kind of the, the status quo in terms of tooling and, and solutions uh, out there kind of is. Um, and then the second part of the educational piece is actually looking at kind of the area that we're moving into and, and what the new art of the possible is in the supply chain um, and why actually investing in, in a decent supply chain process can bring a wealth of benefits to the business, including kind of procurement teams, legal teams, uh, it can help the business buy things quicker. Uh, and that's kind of a whole educational piece that, um, that I think when you're starting a business takes a bit of a, you almost have to learn it as you're doing it. Um, I think the if, if I think back to kind of day one of, of Risk Ledger, where I had written out a value proposition and what I thought the value was we'd bring to customers, it's broadly the same as, as now kind of a few years later. Um, but we've definitely been able to refine it a lot based on actually those conversations and learning from customers. What actually is the real pain they're experiencing um, once they're using our platform? What is the real value we're bringing to them? Um, and that, so that education piece, what I'm saying there is two ways as well. Kind of it, it helps us refine the product, helps us refine our messaging and, and kind of what we do just as much as the, the customer gets educated in, in kind of, uh, in, in our case, supply chain and that specific domain within security. Hayden, are you, are, are, when, uh, when you're implementing uh, your solution, are you typically working with an organization that has some realm of a solution already in place, or is it generally they're looking for their first kind of uh, stab into this realm? Yeah, good question. Um, so, it's been a real mix. Uh, if I think across our customer base, I'd say about half uh, were either had no solution in place or were using spreadsheets uh, as questionnaires, which I'm sure uh, Stag you're familiar with. It's still um, happening all the time. Yeah. 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 So we're usually the last uh, the last companies to go through one of those old school risk management programs before they then move on to our platform, which is good fun. So we're well versed in them. Um, so yeah, about half I'd say were using either spreadsheets or had nothing in place, and then the other half were using uh, tools uh, already but not really getting a huge amount of ROI off of those tools. And the other interesting piece about supply chain, which I think, um, correct me if I'm wrong here, Saz, but you may not have uh, when you're dealing kind of with the internal side of the company, uh, is that essentially CISOs, I think, when they're thinking about building a security program, it's relatively straight, straightforward is the wrong word, but it's relatively logical to think about what you can do to protect your own business. The issue with the supply chain is you now have to think about all of those things with every other company potentially your company is working with and those companies may not be the friendliest and so that kind of just adds so much complexity to that problem uh, that they often think why would i spend a huge amount of money on the supply chain part which is often actually the most expensive part of my security budget if it's not really going to give me any kind of uh, increased protection and i think that that roi historically has been so poor that it has led to a huge amount of underinvestment in the space um, and that's part of uh, going back to the educational piece. That's part of what we're trying to change. We're trying to just show you that we have brought that cost down and also brought that effectiveness of supply chain programs up and kind of completely shifted that ROI. Um, yeah, so it's it's there's a whole lot of complexity there that I think CISOs has led to CISOs being fairly dis disillusioned when it comes to supply chain historically. I, I yeah, I, I think CISOs have been pretty disillusioned with a lot of things in this space. Yeah, yeah, honest. true. Um, I mean, there's just. Be nice. there's, <laughs> no, no, I mean, I'm, you know, it's been a, I mean, there's just so many silver bullet solutions all the time, right? And they never, they never work out, right? So when there's a new yeah. solution that's actually, um, you know, adding actual value to the, to these organizations, right? They either write them off um, or, um, you know, it's just, it, it, I don't know, it's, security's hard, right? I mean, like, we, we need to make it as, as simple as possible for organizations to do the right thing. Um, and we need to streamline processes and, um, you know, try and centralize all the data. Um, but, 
there's no silver bullet here. It still takes time. It still takes effort. We just have to make it as simple as possible. Um, so anyways, that's just my two cents. Yeah, I I completely agree, and it's kind of like what I always laugh at is is people thinking that tools are going to completely reduce their risk to zero in whatever domain the tool kind of sits in. Um, like fundamentally, I don't think that's what tools are there to do, uh, and and I have yet to come across a tool that that really can do that. But then um, you sorry, you get the you get, no, 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 you, yeah. you get the opposite of this as well, right? Where uh, where I completely agree with you, right? The tool is meant to uh, to in you know, increase efficiency, uh, decrease human error and, you know, help generally help the organization. But then you also have this, uh, this, the flip side of it, where, uh, you show them that, you know, you show, you show these prospects, you know, this is what you can do. This is what good looks like. And this is how you build maturity and they actually get nervous and they actually, <laughs> they're like, well, this might eliminate my job. And then like, uh, and then, you know, the conversation stops. So it's like, it, it's a very delicate balance from, you know, uh, depending on which side, you know, you sit on and what, what you're trying to do. Um, but it's, uh, I don't know, we, we've, we've come across this a couple of times now as well. Cause like we, we lean really heavily into automation, but it's automating all the stuff that like no one wants to do. Right. Like it's all of like the really boring, like boring day-to-day -day stuff that like, uh, nobody wants to do. And oftentimes they forget it. And then that's where, you know, that that's where the holes open up and where the fundamentals start to, you know, start to come apart and the tears in the organization occur. But yet, um, you know, people are very much invested in holding on to these old, old ways of doing things, even when they're not practical. Yeah. And then even adding to that, we, one of the things that surprised me when I first, I'm not a salesperson. So the first few kind of sales conversations when it was just me and the business trying to have them were, were really kind of enlightening. Um, we had examples where uh, I think there was a lot of uh, inertia and hesitancy around people changing the process they already had. It was a process they were comfortable with. They knew what they were doing kind of day in, day out. And when you're approaching them with maybe a new way of doing things, and especially when it's your first few customers, it's an unproven way of doing things. Yeah. And that can often, often they think of it as introducing risk rather than actually you're there to reduce their risk. Um, and that was quite an interesting barrier that we had to overcome right at the very start, which was uh, I hadn't foreseen at all. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I think we've had, I think we've had some, like, we've definitely had similar, we've definitely had similar issues. Like we've, we've gone, like we've gone all the way with like, um, you know, pitching to customers and, uh, you know, we get to the, to the final, you know, to the final stages and like, you know, we're showing them like, like just a risk management pro pro like program, right. We can like streamline it and they have all these requirements where they like, they operate in different regions and um, they want central reporting and they want, you know, they have, they have issues with, uh, um, producing that report on an annual basis or a quarterly basis or whatever and like making it consistent and then we literally get to the end and they're like well we're just not sure that this is like we're pretty happy with our uh with our excel sheets and like we're just not sure how much value this is really going to add and you're just like clearly there's an issue here otherwise if there wasn't an issue we wouldn't be on yeah. the, like we wouldn't have been having these conversations from the get-go and like I, I don't know people uh, it's it's the uh it's the fear of change and the unknown but in the tech space like i find it very odd to be in the tech space and have that mentality because like I mean, look at like chat GPT, right? I mean, like, you know, a month ago, what was it? Like uh, mid, mid December, right? Nobody, nobody really knew about it. And now everyone's just freaking out about what the next 10 years are going to look uh, like. Yeah. So in interestingly, so often when I speak to UK founders, they almost perceive a bit of a, a culture gap between the US and the UK on that point. Exactly. So they think the US deals close a bit quicker. People are more open to providing feedback and saying no a bit quicker. Whereas in the UK, it's very often that we'll, uh, get to the end of kind of three, four months sales process, and then it turns out they were never looking for a tool to buy anyway, and uh, or the they don't. The yeah. customer. <laughs> okay, yeah, great. <laughs> um, and that's definitely yeah. uh, we've come across that a lot. Like yeah. uh, learning, uh, and one of the best bits of advice I got on that was as a company trying to sell, 
learning when to say no can be very powerful and we have said no to prospects and then ended up six weeks later the prospect buying us because i think we said no and we're not kind of taking part in that unless we have assurance or comfort that actually we're going to get something out of this we just don't have the capacity all the time yeah um yeah so so that we i've had a lot of conversations with found friends over that interesting very good a lot, a lot of similarities yeah, uh, English people are very polite as well. We don't like saying no. So um, oftentimes you'll have people nodding, nodding smiling, uh, agreeing <laughs> with everything, and then they get to the end and you haven't won the deal. So yeah. Yeah, for sure. Man, this, is, uh, this has been great. And I think really bringing uh, a lot of value in a number of ways. Number one, like I think from a founder and co-founder standpoint, um, it's always interesting, I think, to hear from the horse's mouth. I think you two brought some like great perspective to that, but then also on the risk side, um, I think organizations, there's so many areas that I think they're going to have to consider uh, adjustments that maybe have been made in the last two or three years um, to kind of react to the pandemic and people being remote. Um, and I think you guys really were able to touch on uh, just some great ways to think about that. So I appreciate your time today. Thank you for uh, making time for this. And I hope we can uh, be in touch in the future. Sounds great. Thank, thank you. Thank you very Thanks, much. Guys. Take care, guys. Cheers. Bye.